Good morning. Welcome. Will you stand? Let's sing together this morning. Sing wherever I go. Morning, Kavanaugh. Oh, that's pathetic. Good morning, Kavanaugh. Man, what a great day. What an awesome weekend. I am so excited for Tuesday. One, I tell you, one of my favorite holidays. I, I, I love, I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel yeah. I, I pull my bowling shoes out of the closet once a year. For this Sunday. Man, it's good to have you in the Lord's house today. This, this is the place to be any Sunday, but especially this Sunday, because Jesus is the one who can set you free. And when you have been set free by the blood of Jesus, everything changes. The old is gone. Behold, everything is new in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't experienced that freedom, 
It is my prayer for you today that you be set free by the blood of Jesus this morning. Amen? Amen. Fantastic. We're here. We are here to worship the one true and only God, and I welcome you. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. You can find a Connect card in the chair back in front of you. If you just fill that out and after service, take it through these doors to the Connect counter, we'll exchange it for a gift. It's a pretty good deal. Stand up with me. We're going to do what you used to do in elementary school and what I do at every SAS competition I go to. We're going to start with the Pledge of Allegiance. What do you think about that? Let's do it together. Say the pledge with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer, and then we're going to welcome one another. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be in your house today. I thank you for Jesus and his shed blood on Calvary's cross that can redeem us and set us free for all eternity. I pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and praised in this room today, and I pray that Jesus would draw men, women, boys, and girls to himself. We love you, Lord. We exalt you, and today we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn around and say hi to at least 12 people.
to introduce our next song. Um, but before I do that, I want to share a praise item. Last week, my mom went for a CT scan because her doctor feared there may be a lung disease. So mom went in on Tuesday for the scan and uh, we all thought it would be several days before we heard any results, but it, it came back quick. It was Wednesday morning. Um, mom received a, a note, a notice that uh, no disease. So I think it's important that we share those victories along the way. Our next song is possibly one of my favorites. I know it's Don's favorite. <laughs> uh, all of them are Don's favorites, by the way. <laughs> so, um, the name of the song is Honey in the Rock. And I, I know we've sung it many times, but, but it's still new to me. I love this song. Um, it talks about um, where, where God provided honey uh, in Deuteronomy um, chapter 32, 13 and 14. I've got a cheat sheet here in case you were wondering. But God provided honey for nourishment out of, out of a rock. And then in Numbers chapter 32, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 11, God provided water out of a rock for the children of Israel. And also, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 9, God provided manna. Every morning, the Israelites, when they, when they got up, uh, went out and collected food for the day in the form of manna that was provided by God. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How sweet it is to trust in Jesus. So please join us as we sing Honey in the Rock.
Oh, our Father, we are so thankful to stand in your presence this morning and know that you keep providing and you keep proving. You are so faithful that when we ask, you provide and you give and you are faithful. We see miracles done every day when you heal our people. When we ask, you're there. We thank you for that. Lord, don't let us take that for granted. And let us always be thankful. Let us come before you and bow before you. Lord, if there's one here this morning that does not know you, please don't let them leave this building without making you their savior, without knowing you. And Lord, if there's one here that is not close, let them get close to you before they leave today. Let them find that honey in the rock and that bread that you give that sustains us and that feeds us. As we open up your scripture, Lord, let us understand what you have for us today. Let it sustain us. Bless our pastor as he stands in the pulpit, Lord. Give him what you would have us to hear. Give us that understanding that we will know you, Jesus. Just sweep over us in a mighty and powerful way. For we give this service to you, for you are holy, you are true, you are the only one that deserves all the glory and the honor, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We love you, we praise you, we give it to you. In your name, amen. people said? Amen. amen, amen. Everybody loves a party. Come on. Everybody loves a good party. That's what the king was counting on. The year was 539 BC, the place, the palace in the city of Babylon. Almost 70 years had passed since Daniel and the Three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been apprehended as teenagers and dragged from Jerusalem to the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel is now an old man, well into his 80s. King Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for 24 years, and his grandson, Belshazzar, sits on the throne of this shrinking empire centered in the great city of Babylon. In fact, nothing is left of the kingdom except the city. And outside the massive walls, the Medo-Persian army has surrounded the city. Again, it is all that is left of the Babylonian empire. And inside the city, the citizens felt at least a little bit comfortable. Even though a massive army had surrounded them and had been there for weeks and months and had sieged the city, they felt secure. And why not? They were protected by a double line of walls that stretched 17 miles 
around this massive city. The walls were 300 feet high. They were 87 feet wide. Historians say that three chariots could run abreast on top of this wall. Over 100 watchtowers offered excellent protection for the soldiers who stood guard. The Euphrates River ran diagonally through the city, supplying an ample amount of water. And the walls were built right over the banks of the river so that no invading army could go through the waters. Finally, the city contained a 20-year stockpile of food and supplies. And those surrounded the people of Babylon felt that no army could conquer them. They could outlast any siege. But you know what? If you were in that city, you felt a little uncomfortable. Days the morale plummeted. And with that as the background, we come to the events of Daniel chapter 5. One of the most interesting chapters in the entire Bible, and I've looked through my notes, I have never preached from Daniel chapter 5, but today is the day. Historians tell us the exact date it was, October the 12th, 539 B.C. All over the city, people were excited because the king was throwing this massive party. 1,000 nobles had been invited. Counting the waiters, the guards, and the various onlookers, the the number could have tallied near 5,000 people. The party was the king's way of diverting attention from the events outside the city walls. It was to be a massive morale booster, meant to lift the spirits of the entire city. And King Belshazzar knew what it took to have a good party in Babylon. He needed three things. He needed really good food, a whole lot of wine, and many attractive women. Such a party would have started early in the day and gone all night long. Course after course would have been served. Wine would be flowing freely. Entertainment would accompany the food and the wine. And sexual pleasure was just there for the taking. Evidently, the party got off to a great start. Whole lot of laughter, plenty of wine for everyone. Nobody knows exactly when Belshazzar got this idea. Maybe he had premeditated this weeks before the party, or it could have been something instantaneous. But at some point, he decided, let's go to the storeroom and bring out the gold and silver goblets that we took from the temple in Jerusalem. Since that time, these goblets had not been touched. They had been stored in the royal palace in Babylon. So the king called his servants, whispered the command, They nodded and then disappeared. Within a few minutes, they returned carrying these gold and silver goblets taken from God's house. The drunken guest roared with approval. First the king, then his wives, then his concubines, and then all the nobles of Babylon drank from these holy goblets that had been taken from God's house in Jerusalem. Someone began to sing a song of praise to the gods of Babylon. Others picked it up, and with one voice, the drunken party-goers praised. Here's what the Bible says. They praised the gods of gold, silver, stone, and wood. Their shouting, their laughter, and their degenerate things were the result of the wine that they had been drinking. This was exactly what the king had wanted. 
a wild party to help the people forget the troubles on the outside of the city walls. And guess what? It was working like a charm. But as you looked around the room, you noticed that one man was absent. He hadn't been invited to the party. And why in the world would they ever invite Daniel in the first place? After all, if you invite one of those narrow-minded Bible believers, they will be offended sooner or later over something that was said or done and cause a big scene. So you know what? It's best just to leave them off the party list, right? (laughs) Daniel wasn't present at that moment. But somebody else was in the room. Have you ever heard the the phrase of so-and-so crashing a party? Well, God crashed Belshazzar's party. Without, Without a warning, a disembodied hand began to ride on the plaster wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. There was no body, there was no face, there was no torso, just a hand with a finger writing on the plaster wall. And when the king saw the words being formed on the wall, the Bible says the color of his face was drained and he became as white as a sheet. At first the king thought he was seeing something, but then he realized that the room was silent and the party had stopped. There was dead silence in the room. This was no illusion, no party trick, no stunt. Everybody saw the same thing, and the king grew faint. The Bible says that his knees grew weak. In fact, it says his knees were knocking together. He almost collapsed. But just as suddenly as that hand appeared, it vanished. But the words remained. Four words in Aramaic, the trade language of that day. I I tried to get a hand without a body or torso to write it on our screen, but we couldn't do that. (laughs) However, we have Devin, and he's got a clicker, so click away, Dev. Can you imagine just a finger? Mene, mene, tikel, parsin. What in the world does it mean? Well, the, the king didn't know. So he called the astrologers, the enchanters, the magicians. These men used various secrets and strange techniques to solve riddles and tell the future to the king. And and the king's offer was real simple. The man who figures out these four words is going to be awarded. First of all, I'm going to give him a purple robe to wear. I'm going to give him a gold chain to put around his neck. It was a Mr. T starter kit. And then he said, I will make you the third in command in Babylon. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, third, what's, what's the deal with third? Well, it, it is believed that after Nebuchadnezzar died, his son took over the throne, but he had already been captured by the Medes and Persians. And so his son, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, was now sitting on the throne, but the throne still belonged to his father. So this person who solved the riddle would be made third in command. It was the chance of a lifetime, but they couldn't do it. All the king's men tried, and every one of them failed. What a way to end this party. Nobody knew what to do. The nobles were baffled at what it all meant. They came to get drunk and to have a good time. They hadn't bargained on this. And so they all stood in confusion. What's going to happen? Nobody could solve the riddle. Apparently, somewhere else in the palace, the mother queen And we don't know exactly who she was. Maybe she was Belshazzar's mother. Maybe she was another daughter from King Nebuchadnezzar, but she had the title of mother queen. She had already left the party and she was about to go to bed. Someone ran to get her and said, you need to come back into the party hall and see what's going on. And so in walked mama queen. And as she looked at the scene and surveyed what was happening, She realized what had happened, and she thought about the strange handwriting on the wall, and a name from the past came to her mind. She remembered a man who had once helped King Nebuchadnezzar interpret one of his dreams. Do you know who she's thinking about? His name is Daniel. Many years ago, he had come as a teenager to Babylon, one of the Jewish hostages taken in the first deportation from Jerusalem. Here's what she said. Call for Daniel. He has wisdom and insight. He has the spirit of the holy gods living inside of him. He will tell you what the writing means. Now, I have no idea what King Belshazzar was thinking. I'm I'm thinking he's sobering up pretty quick. And you know what a desperate drowning man will do. He will grasp for anything. And so he called for Daniel, and Daniel came. Enter Daniel, former slave, once a teenage hostage. Now he's an old man, close to 90 years old. He has served in the royal court of Babylon his entire adult life. More than one time, he had pulled Nebuchadnezzar out of a jam. He had been faithful to God his whole life. Not one time had he compromised his values, even though he lived in a pagan land, serving in a pagan government. So don't you tell me it can't be done, because it can be done. They told him, don't pray to anyone except Nebuchadnezzar, but he went home and three times a day he prayed to his God. Don't you pray to your God anymore or we'll throw you into a lion's den. But you know what? He would not compromise his beliefs. He believed in God Almighty and he stood by God. Somehow he managed to keep his values intact while serving in Babylon. And now he's called on for his last act of service to a Babylonian king. I'm going to pause right here and repeat a point made over a century ago by a man named Joseph Parker. He was a preacher from England. And here's what he said. When the world throws a wild party, the children of God are never invited. And it's true. It's because we don't fit in. Our our values would be a nuisance 
we, we would squeeze the life out of their party. Do, do you know how that feels? You know, I certainly do. I can remember years ago when, when my kids, I got two of them here today, Whitney and Zane. I can, I can remember when y'all were little and involved in sports and doing things, Callie as well. We, Angie and I, we were good parents. We were at every practice that we could go to, every sporting event. We were there. We were supporting our kids. We met a lot of people. All the other parents on the team, we met them intermingled with them. But you know what? I, I quickly realized that, that there were some cliques and some groups I was just not allowed into. And I never could really figure it out. And it, it kind of offended me and, and bothered me because you know what? I mean, I was, I was a nice guy. I had a good kid as an athlete. Why, why wouldn't they let me into their inner circle? Why, why were we not invited to go out on trips to eat and to do things with them when we went out of town on, on sporting engagements? Why didn't they invite us to come up in the stands and sit with them? And, and one day I was whining to Angie about it, and she says, well, you, you big dummy, don't you know? They don't want you around because if you're around, you're, you're going to put the heat on them and they're going to have to change their language. They're not going to be able to tell the stories they were telling. And, and it's not because of you, it's because of who you represent. But let that marriage break up or let those kids get in trouble or you get a bad report from the doctor, or your career hits the rocks, and who are they going to call? They're going to call the man or woman of God who knows the Lord. Daniel was not invited to this party, but when God intervened and no one had the answer, suddenly he's the one they want to talk to. Guys, listen to me, church. You may never know your influence until a crisis comes. What an encouragement this is. You could be stuck in an office or a classroom or a factory or a neighborhood or a club or a family gathering where you're the only Christian and you may feel overlooked or taken for granted or possibly ridiculed and misunderstood. I told first service, I love the cowboy shoot. Man, it's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine. I, I love the competition. I love the garb I get to wear. I love shooting guns. But I also love it because it's my ministry. And again, I, I get to be around people who, who don't know God, they don't know church, never been to church. I'm the only preacher they know. But it's just like at those sporting events. There are some times when I go to a match, there are some people who don't want me on their posse. And again, I don't think it's just because of me, it's because of who I represent. But you know what? I've, I've bided my time. I've been doing that for now well over 10 years. And here's what I have found out. Whenever life comes tumbling in, those people who don't want you on their posse call you. Holy smoke, I want to ask you to pray for me. I just went to the doctor. I got a bad report. Pray, pray, would you pray for my grandson? He's got a heart condition. Would you pray for him? I need help, Holy Smoke. Can you meet me? <laughs> Listen to me, church. You may not be invited to every party, but you will get the call when the trouble comes. And when that happens, I challenge you to speak the truth 
with boldness, but do it in love. Belshazzar offered Daniel the same deal he had offered the magicians. You, you solve this riddle, I'll give you the Mr. T starter kit. And you will become third ruler in all of Babylon. You can say anything you want to about Daniel, but th this is sure. Daniel was not intimidated by the king, nor was he lacking in self-confidence. It, it took a lot to impress this preacher. And this half-drunk, staggering monarch did not impress him at all. He had seen better in his day. After all, Daniel had served in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, one of history's greatest kings. And so Daniel just preached him a little message. Daniel pointed out that by drinking wine from those sacred goblets and by praising the gods of Babylon, Belshazzar had set him up himself up against the God of heaven. It was a direct public premeditated assault on the Lord God Almighty. Those idols they were seeing praises to, they could not see, they could not hear, they could not understand. But Belshazzar had provoked what Daniel said in verse, five, verse 23 of chapter 5, you have provoked the God who holds in his hand your life and your ways. Daniel's explanation of the handwriting is pretty short to the point. He pointed to the wall, Mene, Mene, two times Mene. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign, Belshazzar, and your number is up. Tekel, it means weighed. God has weighed your life on the scales of his justice and you've come up short. Parsin means divided. Belshazzar, your kingdom is about to be broken up and given to the Medes and the Persians. I, I, I'm telling you, the, the king at this point had really sobered up, and I, I believe he knew Daniel was telling him the truth, so he ordered the purple robe to put on his back, the, the gold necklace around his neck. He, he turned to the 1,000 nobles and announced that Daniel was the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And then the end of the chapter comes, chapter 5, verse 30. It ends abruptly. This verse simply says that Belshazzar was slain that same night. But no details are given. However, secular history fills in the gaps. Remember outside the city walls, we have the army of the Medes and the Persians. They were camped near the Euphrates River, and evidently they had a couple of engineers, Jason, who were good thinkers. There was a lake not very far away, and so they determined if we could just build a channel from the Euphrates River to this lake, we could divert the water and then walk through on the riverbed. And sure enough, that very night, the last shovel full of dirt was turned and the river was diverted. They actually walked through on dry land and nobody saw them coming in. One ancient writer says that when the army entered Babylon, they found the leaders feasting in drunken revelry. Not long after Daniel gave his solemn message to the king, the Medo-Persian army entered Babylon almost without a fight. Before sunrise, Belshazzar was dead and the Babylonian empire came to an inglorious end. 
Let, let me quickly draw your attention to the point of this story. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 22, it emphasizes that King Belshazzar knew the past. Daniel reminded him, you, you know what happened to your granddaddy. You, you know what happened to the king Nebuchadnezzar. God judged your grandfather because of his pride. Let me stop right here and say, hey, the very first sin that is mentioned in the Bible is pride. We all deal with it. Nebuchadnezzar had a big dose of it. The previous chapter, chapter 4, you go back and read it this afternoon, it's, it's all about his pride. D Daniel told him, if, if, if you don't stop sinning, God is going to call your number. And God did call his number. He, he went crazy. He went out of his mind. He, he went out into the wilderness and lived like an animal. I think it was for seven years. His hair grew long. His nails grew long. Dew covered his body every day. And after the appointed time, he came to his senses and repented to God for his sin of pride. And God allowed him to become king once again. And now Daniel is reminding Belshazzar of his grandfather's sin. Daniel's point is this. You should have known better. When you took the silver and gold goblets and used them in that wild party, you were daring God to punish you. And God called your bluff. I think we could sum up this truth in four statements. These are all four true statements. Number one, Babylon became great because of the sovereign blessing of God. God caused that nation to rise to preeminence. God blessed Babylon. When they became great, their pride made them forget God. When they forgot God, they began to take God for granted. And then when they took God for granted, God judged them. Daniel chapter 5 is in our Bible for a particular reason. So that we will know that what happened to Babylon can also happen to us. You search through the rubble of history and see the great empires come and go. Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire, and in the last hundred years, the Soviet Union and the Third Reich of Hitler. They have all come and gone. It's a pattern that repeats itself with every nation. The tendency of every great nation is the same. Here's how it starts. To believe that we will always be a superpower. To slowly push God out of the picture. To take him out of public life. To forbid the mention of his name. To ridicule those who still believe in him. To promote those who exalt man and downplay God. To reject the absolute truth to rewrite the rule book, to live by our own desires. Over time, we take God for granted. We turn to our own idols of technology and begin to worship the things that we make with our own hands. And in the end, God judges that nation, and it is no longer a great nation. Amen. It's happened before. It will happen again. And it could be happening right now. Yeah. Happy July 4th. <laughs> you know, I love this holiday. 
I'm thankful for the fireworks, french fries, grilled hamburgers, watermelon, ice cream, cantaloupe. Mm. I love the parades, the marching bands, the streets lined with flags. Did I mention the fireworks? Nothing like exploding your money, is there? I love the music of this holiday. God bless America. Battle hymn of the Republic. Yankee Doodle Dandy. This land is your land. And God bless the USA. Yeah. If the founders of this country could somehow join us on Tuesday, they would be amazed at how God has blessed the nation they established. I think they would hardly recognize America in the 21st century. They, they would no doubt be glad that we take at least one day a year to remember the past. Too bad we don't get a whole month. But you know what? Some of you get it. That's okay. But that one day is the purpose for this holiday that we would remember our past and that we would ponder our future. We like to say that America is the greatest nation on earth. I'm sure that would be debated by many today. Again, I told the first service, I I remember in the uh, late 70s, I was in a speech class in my high school and I had to give a speech in competition and, and my teacher picked out a speech for me, it was all about America. And and I can remember making the statement that we are the most blessed and the greatest nation on the face of this earth. It was a great speech. I won first place with it. Everybody loved it. Just a few years later, when I was in college, I was in another speech class, and I went to another competition. I I didn't have a speech, so I, I pulled this old American one out that I'd just won a few years before. Everybody loved it. But when I gave it at this competition, the judges hated it. And the comment that I got from all three, three judges is, we don't believe America is the greatest. Well, we could spend all day debating that. But I don't think anybody in this room could deny the fact that God has uniquely blessed our country. While we pulse to celebrate this next week, I think we would do well to think about America from God's perspective. When God weighs us on the scales of justice, what does he see? We've done our best to shut God and his word out of our national life. We've barred God from the classroom and the courtroom. We mock any office holder who takes the Bible seriously. And I think we can see the inevitable results of that right before us. Killing the unborn, the divorce epidemic, child abuse, the celebration, listen to me, the celebration of sexual perversion, lawlessness in our streets, breakdown of trust, rising crime, deceit in high places, and a slow decline in belief in God across our culture. No wonder a recent poll reported that only 24% of Americans believe that our country is on the right track because we're not on the right track. 
And I have Christians ask me all the time, well, when is God going to judge America? Friend, he's already judging America. God's judgment isn't always thunder and lightning. More often, God judges a nation by saying, you want to live without me? Okay. I will turn you over to a reprobate mind. We'll see how you like that. Part of the paradox is that in some respects, things have never been better. I went outside last night and I just walked around my house. I have an acre and I just walked around my property, went in my garages, got two different garages and, and I just started looking at all my stuff. My lens, I got a lot of stuff. I never thought this poor preacher would have so much stuff. But God's blessed me with a lot of stuff. I, I went in my closet, I got some pretty cool shoes. I mean, if, if you got cool shoes and you only wear them one time a year, that's... I looked at all my cowboy boots. I've, I've got over a dozen pair of cowboy boots, some of them custom made. I opened my safe and I looked at all those guns. Wow! It's my kid's inheritance. <laughs> Did you know that the poorest person in this congregation is richer than... 90% of the people in this world. Compared to 1776, we've got an easy life. If I can do it. 80, 88? It's 90. How come yours is different than mine, babe? I think, I think it's because you're hotter than I am. <laughs> come on now. Smoking hot wife I got, man. It's one of my blessings right there, man. 90 degrees outside. Right now, 90 degrees while you're sitting in a cool 68. They didn't have this in 1776, man. Are you getting my point? Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down? We have it so good, so easy. We're so blessed. But do we have the courage that those men had? Would we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor as they did long ago? No doubt America is spiraling downhill, but the current decline in America can be a blessing if it leads us back to the God who made us. That's why I'm hopeful about the future. Even as I ponder the problems we face, I have not yet seen that disembodied hand with the finger writing on the wall of America. It's close. It's close. So let us rededicate ourselves to being one nation under God. And as we celebrate this 4th of July, let's remember that true freedom can only come through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Is it too late for America to turn to God? I don't think so. But the hour is late and the moment of judgment is upon us. So what can we do? I want to end my sermon with five things we can do and I'm just going to rip them out. So get ready. Here we go. The first thing that we should do, can do, and must do is repent. We've been talking about them, those liberals who are destroying America. Let's talk about us. 
It is not a revolution that we need in this country. It is a spiritual revival. And revivals start in the house of God. Spiritual renewal comes when you recognize, you know what, I am part of the problem. And you get on your knees before God and you confess your own sins. Here's what the Lord said. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So why don't you join me at the altar this morning and let's repent of our sins. Number two, we need to pray. I I can hardly watch the news anymore. I just get so aggravated. I can't tell you the last time I watched it. I I get so mad. But you tell me, what's the use of getting mad and storming around, having a bad attitude and blaming everybody else? when I could do something about it. When I could get down on my knees and cry out to the God who made us and the God who can change us and the God who can help us. Why in the world am I whining around about how degenerate this country is when I could be praying for this country? Repent, pray. We can do that here this morning, can't we? Number three, we need to live the truth. When you walk out these doors today, live the truth. Model the truth. Be the truth. Be that person they don't invite to their parties. Know what the Word of God says and obey it. Be different. We need some people to stand as salt in a corrupt society. We need some people to be a light in a dark world. Well, I just, I just kind of want, I just, I just want to kind of fit in with everybody and I don't want to rock the boat. Why not? Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me in this world, when you stand before God, I'll be ashamed of you. Live the truth. Number four, you need to speak the truth. You need to speak the truth. We have been quiet way too long because we don't want to offend people. Dude, it's past that. You know what we need to say? Enough is enough. This is crazy. God made them male and female. We need to speak up and say, you know what? It is wrong for boys to compete against girls in sporting events. It is wrong for boys who are transgender to go into girls' bathrooms. It is wrong for them to be in the locker room. No more. And some of you are getting nervous and you want me to move on, but I'm, I'm going to camp out here just for a second. It's silly. It's stupid. It's wrong. No, they're not a cat.
and we don't let them bring a litter box to school. You can do it in love, but friend, it's time to open your mouth and say enough is enough, and if it doesn't stop, we're down the tubes. And I'll move on, number five, last one. You need to get involved. You need to be involved. When, when I first started preaching and pastoring a church, it was, it was just taboo to speak politics from the pulpit. I was trained in seminary. You never say anything about politics from the pulpit. You don't preach it. You don't talk about it. You don't endorse candidates from the pulpit. It's taboo. You don't talk about it. You know what I figured out? That is a lie from the devil. We better be involved. Oh, you know, it's, my vote doesn't count anyway. Baloney. You, you know what? I would, I would go as far to say, I'm just feeling it right now. Can you tell I'm feeling it? Sometimes, somebody's going to get mad. Somebody's going to leave the church. I just, but I feel it, so I'm going to say it. I think it's the Holy Spirit telling me to say it. We can blame them all we want to, but it's our fault. Oh, school boards, that's no big deal. We don't have to go vote for that. I'm not going to run for a school board. It's no big Let me tell you, it's a huge deal. We, we have elected people on school boards who are making these crazy rules that are allowing drag queens to come in and talk to our grandchildren. They, they are the ones who are telling our kids, our grandbabies, that you know what? It's okay for you not to feel comfortable the, the way you are. You can change your sex, and, and you don't even have to tell your parents about it. Now, I get so mad at that that I could spit nails. But it's my fault and your fault because we allowed them to be elected. So vote, do your part. And get involved in politics. Run for an office. Stand up for Jesus. And don't just vote for a party because that's what my granddaddy did. You better make sure you know what that candidate believes and stands for. You can make a difference. So get involved. How about joining me at the altar this morning as a church family? I love my country. I do love the USA. I'm thankful for the privilege to stand in freedom and preach. I love you. But if we don't come together as the family and in unity do something, we're not going to enjoy this privilege much longer. So join me today. Let us repent of our sins. Let us pray for God's intervention and revival. Let's walk out these doors and walk the walk and talk the talk. And let's make this world a better place. Heavenly Father, would you please do that today? Do it in our hearts. Do it right now. There, there are some people in this room who need Jesus as their Savior. And I pray that today they would come and be born again. 
Lord, for the rest of us, help, help us to come and repent. Ron quoted the verse, if we repent, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to repent today. Help us to pray for our nation, our elected officials. Help us to pray that we would become the salt and the light in this dark, corrupt world. And dear Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to take a stand and to make a difference. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Would you stand? And as you stand up, don't hesitate, don't wait, don't ponder. Just come on, man. Let's pray together as the family of faith. Let's come together as one. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for each other. Jesus, we do repent and we plead the blood of Jesus. Forgive us, dear Lord. Forgive us of our apathy. Forgive us of our negative spirit. Forgive us for our griping and complaining. Lord, start a revival in our hearts today. Give us a burden for this country. Lord, I pray for elected officials, whether it be on a a state or a local, a city, our national government, I pray, dear Lord, for those who are elected. And if they don't know you, I pray that conviction would take place and they would become a believer. Lord, help us to walk out of this room today determined that we're going to be salt in a corrupt society and light in a dark world. And Lord, help us to make a difference. God bless the USA. God bless Kavanaugh Church. God bless everyone in this room. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen, amen. Thank you for being here today. When you walk out, make sure you drop your offering into that black box. Enjoy Tuesday. Have a great 4th of July. Come back Wednesday. We're going to have great services that night. And after service, our men's ministry is going to meet for a few moments right down here. Bass Club, Thursday at 6 o'clock. God bless the USA.